Hey friends, this is Eric Gentry. Welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. Today on the podcast, I'm going to talk with Thud Hill. Thud's the executive director of Timothy Hill, a ministry based out of New York that is now spread across the country serving young people who are in need. I think you're going to be blessed by this conversation. Let's go to Thud. Well, church, like you just saw in the video, next week is Life-Giving Sunday. Used to know it as our outreach contribution. This is the Sunday twice a year when we give of ourselves so that others may have life in Jesus Christ. And so next week, we're going to raise $275,000 and then give it away. It, that's my favorite thing to say all year. You, you, hear, you hear me say it twice a year. I love saying it. We're going to raise $275,000 and then we're going to give it away to the best missionaries and ministries in Memphis and around the world that we know of that are doing life-changing, life-giving work. And one of those ministries is Timothy Hill. I've got Thud Hill here with me this morning. Thud is the executive director of Timothy Hill. He's also a good friend of mine. And the reason I wanted to have Thud with us today, because in addition to so much that's gone on this week, today is Orphan Sunday on the national and actually international calendar. It's this Sunday when we are called to stop and pay attention to kids who are getting overlooked. And what I was afraid of as I was you know, thinking about this Sunday is that um, in the midst of everything else going on in our world, kids that are already overlooked would get overlooked again. And so that's why I'm so thankful for the ministry of Timothy Hill and why Thud and I are gonna talk today about the life-giving work they're doing. But, you know, one of the blessings in the midst of this really difficult season of the pandemic is that we have moved online as well as here on site. And so we have a couple thousand people who are going to be watching this today. And so we think that one of the best ways that we can be a good partner to Timothy Hill is for you to share a bit with some of those who may not know about Timothy Hill, about what Timothy Hill does, why you do it. And so tell us a little bit about that. Well, thank you, Highland family, and thank you for the opportunity to come and, and talk to you guys today. Um, you know, really, uh, you know, Martin's story is a, a moving story, and, um, you know, this started really back in the, uh, well before the, the 70s, necessarily. My, my parents moved up from Tennessee. They were working with a church in 1965 and moved up to New York. And, you know, really started with the idea, a dream of a boy who grew up in a good home, and had loving parents, but he saw his parents taking in young people like Martin and coming from broken places. And so this boy, you know, really felt God was calling him to, uh, to do something about it. And a lot of times, you know, we don't, um, as adults, sometimes take seriously the, the dreams and the ideas of a 10, 11, 12 year old, good, you know, adults that you know, want to encourage that dreaming. Well, you know, we, we look at the story in the Bible of Joseph or uh, sometimes other characters where, um, you know, people don't really think well of a young, young kid dreaming and thinking about uh, what they want to do when it's a big thing. But Timothy had some big ideas and my parents didn't tell him no. And he actually was actively working to save money. He had four jobs, had bought and paid for his own horse by the age of 12. Um, and, you know, was telling them this is kind of what I want to do. So um, when we look at the roots of Timothy Hill, it was really this boy, Timothy, who really had the idea. Mom and dad were just taking care of young people and orphans because they felt like that there was just a lot of brokenness and people were literally knocking on their door sometimes and dropping kids off. And so that was just kind of 
what they did, and they had a great hospitable heart towards those who were in a tough place. But um, yeah, from that, from that dream, uh, from that boy, uh, for those who don't know, Timothy was killed in an accident May 11th, 1972. And uh, I was three months old at the time of his death, so I didn't really experience uh, the tragedy and the grief, uh, but I have had the experience of experiencing this dream kind of unfold. And so that's, over the last 48 years, been kind of the, the life cycle of this organization, and it's, and it's been pretty wild. So tell me what Timothy Hill, let's talk about New York first, we're going to move on in just a second. Tell me about what you do for young people at the New York location. Yeah, so we, we've been licensed by New York State Office of Children and Family Services for the last 40 plus years. And, um, you know, largely have been working with kids coming out of family court and um, being placed with us usually for about a year on average and working with their families and attempting to reunify them and provide, providing family counseling. But they're, they're housed with us for that period of the year. And it's, it is a working ranch on the east end of Long Island. So there's a lot more agriculture than most people think of when they think of New York. But... Um, uh, we have about 17, 18 horses on that property, baler on hay, chicken house, uh, apple orchard, have a wild mulberry tree, we you know, collect eggs. Um, we do some crazy, crazy things with kids that uh, often have never experienced what, it, what it's like to be on a farm. Uh, but you know, just loving them in community, uh, which is often for the first time, them seeing uh, what it's like to be in community. I, I, I get pretty regular updates even when I'm on the road sometimes of fights and you know broken windows and, and some you know we're dealing with some young people with some real trauma and neglect, neglect and abuse that's taking place um, and over the last 15 to 20 years we've really focused a lot more of our attention working with some of the older youth the 18 to 21 18 to 25 year olds that often are kind of kicked out of the system or age out of the system or end up homeless or potentially incarcerated in jail and just gives them an opportunity to um, you know, it just gives them an opportunity to kind of really get that second chance right. in life like the Martin. Right, right. I mean, I look at Martin's story and I think about how many times, you know, my parents intervened for me or, you know, high school teachers or principals, people were intervening and advocating for me and what my life would look like had those people not been there intervening for me. And that's what makes me appreciate what Timothy Hill is doing because most of these folks that come to you don't have anybody advocating for them, intervening for them. And Timothy Hill provides them this space to recover and to get prepared for life. And I thank, I'm thankful for that. So y'all have taken that model and you've moved, not only are you in New York, you're also in Massachusetts now, you're in Mississippi. You've also got a location just outside Nashville at Center Hill Lake. In fact, my family went to this location and so we've got like, I think a short video of my family and I in the trenches of hard ministry work at the Center Hill location. Let's see that. It was hard, y'all. Ministry, ministry is so hard. Um, so the Center Hill location just outside Nashville is, uh, is, is focused on kind of on a, 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 a it, it's a slightly revised model to the one in New York, but it is based on hospitality. So what we have in Center Hill is basically a retreat center. And so if you wanted to go there for a private spiritual retreat, if you want to take your small group or a group from this church, maybe have a family reunion, it's a great place to go. And, but talk to me a little bit about the model because it's a model that's focused around hospitality and hospitality is woven into the DNA of Timothy Hill. So tell me about that and what that looks like at Center Hill. And then we're going to move on to some of the other places too. Yeah, so, uh, you know, anybody who's been around Jerry and Fernhill knows, um, you know, that, that those names are synonymous with hospitality. Not my natural gifting, for sure, uh, but something I've gained a great appreciation for because I've seen, uh, to be honest, I've seen 
probably more people come to Christ from uh, an overnight stay, a warm meal, warm conversation, and particularly when people have been a little bit banged up, and uh, then their openness um, to the gospel is, is, is different when some of those physical needs are met, uh, and particularly when it's done with a great deal of intention. And we were kind of going through some vision casting about five years ago as we were talking about um, the Massachusetts property, which had been a seasonal place becoming year round. And we were just on the cusp of purchasing the property here uh, east of Nashville. And, you know, we really, you know, we, we have a hospitality house that's on our campus that's been around since 2004. And we, we literally had to redo it after 10 years because we had so many people come through the door. We've had probably 15,000 people in the first 10 years uh, come through the door. And it was like, we're doing this hospitality stuff that's separate from the residential, which is also hospitality because we're taking care of other people's kids and just a little bit longer term. But there's a lot of these one nights and two nights and one week stays and sometimes one month stays of people who are coming from all over the country in different places that, you know, somehow gravitate to Jerry and Fern Hill who don't say no to a whole lot of people. And so you now I'm at the stage now where I'm having to say no for them uh, because of this pandemic and trying to protect them a little bit. But, um, you know, it was, it was really interesting as we were going through this kind of vision casting for the organization. We said, if you kind of cut us open, what's our DNA? What's, what's just synonymous with Timothy Hill? And hospitality is part of that, largely because of what Jerry and Fern have done and woven that into the culture, the fabric of our culture. And so we said, we really should be talking about embracing this because, you know, we have the privilege to get to serve the fatherless in these settings, but we've also got the opportunity to serve thousands of others, other people, um, sometimes just with short-term, you know, little nuggets of love. And, um, and so it's, it's just been really neat. So when we were looking in Tennessee, we found this place. And it, honestly, when I walked on it, it was a bit overwhelming because it was so much facility. It was so much bigger than what we thought in our eyes, what we should be getting into. Mm -hmm. But uh, the board, you know, decided and we, we talked about it and, and thought that this would be a good fit for us. And so, but we've always had a very strong workforce development component, as Martin talked about on our campus. It's always been a working ranch. Mom and dad are hard workers. Timothy was a hard worker. And we really believed in that idea that if you, you know, teach a person how to fish, that they'll, they'll, they'll eat for a lifetime versus just giving them a fish. And we really believe a lot of times in foster care, that's one of the holes in the system that they're not really taught. You're dealing with the trauma, abuse, neglect, but not really giving them a marketable skill or teaching them how to begin to do some things for themselves. So that's always been embedded into the fabric of Timothy Hill. And then we thought, man, what a cool idea when you combine this idea of hospitality and taking care of others while you're housing some young people who are trying to figure out how to get to that next step in life and allowing them to be in a place of service to others through hospitality. And so we've kind of created that, that blended model where we're getting to still love churches and nonprofits and individuals who want to get away and just rest and bring some balance into their life and love them through hospitality that way. But then we also are getting to take the fatherless and getting them an opportunity to step outside their own pain and getting a chance to serve uh, by, by loving others with that same intentionality. Yeah, while we were there at the Center Hill location this summer, we saw the residents, young men, working with their counselor and advisor all over the campus throughout our time there, just being poured into by somebody who loves them. In addition, they're providing this service to those who are there. It's, I think it's a beautiful thing. You know, I reflect on, you talk about how hospitality prepares our hearts to receive life in Jesus Christ. I mean, I think about our local school system here in Memphis that provides food 
for kids who are often coming from low-income areas and don't eat. Well, why do they do that? Well, because if you're hungry, you're not going to be able to learn math, right? And I think it's the same concept when it comes to the life in Christ and the many ministries we support through this is we're focused on things that are hospitality-driven or providing the, like, sustenance you need to live so that your heart can be open and receptive to the good news of Jesus Christ. So you've expanded, so you're, you're in Nashville, just outside Nashville, Massachusetts, Mississippi, like I said, also moving into Searcy, Arkansas. We're gonna talk about that in just a second. Who are these young people you've just described, like Martin we saw in the video, who maybe grew up in the system, foster care system, are aging out, 18 to you know, 21, 22, uh, who are these kids that, you know, you're feeling compelled to move across state lines to reach these kids? Who are they and what do they need? Yeah, let me just clarify also one thing you've said. Um, we, we had a, we had an opportunity to support another existing ministry in Mississippi right. for a few years. So we, we don't have an operation in Mississippi, but okay. uh, Sunny Brook Children's Home was a wonderful facility. We got a chance to partner with for about sure. three years and, and support them. And, uh, and so they're, they're doing great down there. Um, yeah, you know, this, there's about 220,000 people nationally at any given time that are homeless between the ages of 18 and 25. So there's usually around 480,000 people in foster care from kin- kindergarten birth through, uh, through 21, and a high percentage of them end up in that homeless category. Uh, you start seeing a lot of services go away at 18. Um, I shared this at some point, possibly here, but... Um, there, there really wasn't a federal mandate until 2007 that foster care services had to be extended until the age of 21. And I believe Tennessee got its own laws ex- expanded in 2011. So we're talking about nine years ago that the idea, the concept that maybe an 18 year old coming out of foster care isn't ready for themselves. Uh, there's only about 70 beds statewide in the state that actually house potentially anywhere from two to 3,000 kids who could be within that 18 to 21 year old range. So there's a huge need for this forgotten generation, this forgotten population, and there's very limited um, opportunities for them when kind of the housing is not available, and that's always kind of one of the biggest challenges uh, for these young people. So, you know, I, I have just had a growing burden on my heart and, I, and, I, and our board as well, uh, and just the Timothy Hill family, that this is where we believe the biggest need is nationally when you see um, services that aren't available. Because if you are 17 and under in every state in the United States, there are laws in every state that protect you on some level. Not a perfect system, but there's something there that provides a level of protection. Um, but when you're 18, a lot of those services go away. So in this state, for instance, if you turn 18 and you're not still in the system the day after your 18th birthday, you can't come back in. You're blocked out of that foster care system. So an opportunity like what we're doing in Center Hill, um, and we know that there's huge needs here in Shelby County as well, uh, but whether it's in the state of Arkansas, whether it's in Massachusetts, in New York, uh, we just see ourselves gravitating towards that group of young people that have the least amount of support, the least amount of services, uh, because there really isn't anybody waving that flag and that banner um, you know, as, as loudly as it needs to be. And so that we just feel like for Timothy Hill, that's, that's a demographic that we want to just pursue. And sure, accepted. sure. So one of you know, the most frequently repeated groups in Scripture that Christians are called to care for are orphans or fatherless children, basically. Um, if, you were to, if you were to chart from the Old Testament to the New, 
and look for the group most frequently mentioned that we're called to care for, it would be those, along with widows and strangers as well, or, or immigrants. And so, I mean, I, I want to call your attention to this. When we give next week, Life-Giving Sunday to support Timothy Hill and other ministries that care for kids, we're doing it because we're called to. Okay, we're called to. From the beginning of time, God has had a burden for kids who get overlooked. And so that's why with this outreach contribution, we support things like adoption and foster care. So if you want to adopt, we will help you pay the costs. If you foster, we will invest in you and your family because we believe you're investing in the lives of kids who need somebody to intervene for them. We also do things like our Red Tubs, which is a drive that's going on right now to collect Christmas supplies for kids in the foster care system. We also support schools, LaRose and Macon Hall. I mean, you saw some of that behind me on the video a few minutes ago. Okay, the reason we're doing that is because we believe God calls us to prioritize children. That's why we did not want to overlook what today is, Orphan Sunday, in the midst of everything else going on in our world, because God calls us to put a priority on children. And I think what Thud is pointing out, though, is that, you know, what we often conceive of is that, like, okay, well, we're, we're going to intervene or advocate for kids till they're 18, and then they're good. I mean, how many of you were good at 18? <laughs> You're like, ready to be on your own, ready to take care of yourself. I was not. You know, I was not. I thought I was. I wasn't. And that's such a critical moment in life because you look like an adult, you sound like an adult, and you maybe aren't ready for all the challenges of adulthood. And it can cause some real difficulties in yeah, life. One, one of the cool things, Eric, that, that I see is there's a self-awareness and a bit more honesty with that 18-year-old that happens where they realize my family's not going to do it. And I'm really kind of at this crossroads moment. Like, what am I going to do? Where, where am I going? How am I going to get there? And, and who's going to show me the way? Because there's just that realization that the system, my parents, whoever, it's, it's kind of, have kind of failed me. And, and so you see these 18, 19, 20 year olds that are literally scared out of their mind. You know, they, they have bravado, they act tough. They are scared completely out of their mind. And we've got a 12 to 18 month window to say, all right, let's figure it out. Yeah. And it really is just interesting because you're seeing, again, this adult body in front of you that can articulate some of their needs and their wants, but they are just really starting from square zero. Sure. I mean, they're just starting over with life. But, but there's also an openness that you see there. And, and there is a, often a gratitude because they realize, wow, this might be my one shot. You know, if, 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 I really want some help. This could be my one opportunity to get it. And so their willingness to pursue and chase after something they've never experienced before is sometimes different than that 14-year-old or that 13-year-old that's still kind of a little bit bitter by and angry about whatever's going on. They realize, I, I need to let some of that go. I yeah. need to figure out how to, how to forge ahead. So on that note, uh, let's, let's show some footage here. We're excited because y'all are moving closer to us. I mean, Nashville's close but you've recently acquired a property in Searcy, Arkansas. There's a school there, I forget what it's called. And um, no, Harding University, many of our folks go there. But we're excited because you're close now. You're two hours away in Searcy, Arkansas. This is some of the footage from that new location. And t tell me about what the vision for this place is and how we can be a part of what you're doing there. Well, as, as many people know here in this church particularly, we were walking around with um, uh, 
you know, trying to get something established here in Fayetteville for a little while. That didn't really work out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And, um, uh, but we were walking with Arkansas as well. We, you know, we knew Arkansas was very open to that population and they had not yet established a statewide system to deal with what we call transitional youth, the 18 and older uh, population. And so they really, in the last year, started working through this, even as the pandemic was hitting, they were still in conversation with us and they actually uh, identified eight different agencies within that state, um, seven within the state. We were the only ones from outside the state, but we'd been walking with the state of Arkansas for four years and they said, look, we want to offer you a contract. We want to offer you licensing. Uh, they actually licensed us and contracted us before we even got property, uh, which made it very appealing and a little easier for our board to go out and invest in something because there was already kind of a, a pathway for, for getting these young people. So, uh, so we're really excited. We actually closed on that property uh, right at the end of September. We've taken about a month to, to renovate it. Uh, I'm going to Cersei in the next two days. We're doing a ribbon cutting on Tuesday. And um, hopefully within the next two weeks, they've got, we've got young people already lined up to be able to come into that place. So uh, we've got some staff that are there that have some Harding ties. Uh, we've actually located one of our former residents who became an intern, graduated our program, and he's actually going to be the live-in uh, kind of caretaker there, at least temporarily. We're getting, getting him some training. Uh, so there's really a cool opportunity where there's a Martin Light guy that's going to be, you know, in there kind of doing some of the mentoring with those guys as well as some licensed professionals around him. Um, so it's just really awesome and really, really excited. And, you know, when we started doing this model where we're stepping out to a different state, you know, one of the first questions the board asked me is they said, well, well how are we going to do that? You know, we're a thousand miles away or 1300 miles away. How are we going to do it in another state? And my answer back to them was a question. I said, how does Chick-fil-A do it? I said, seriously, I was like, whether it's for-profit or non-profit, I was like, they have good people and good systems. And I said, if we can have, you know, we, we feel that we've got a really well-defined culture as an organization, and we want the Timothy Hill sandwich that tastes the same in New York as it does. And the root of that is transforming the lives through love. First Corinthians 13, eight says, love never fails. And if we, mom said years ago, your job is to be seed planters, not people fixers. And if we're just in the business of planting seeds every day, it worked 2,000 years ago. It works right now. And if we just, you know, demonstrate that agape and we're doing it, not expecting anything in return, just because that's what God's put on our heart to do it. And we just keep planting seeds. God's going to give an increase to that. And so yeah. that model works yeah. uh, in New York. It works in Arkansas. And so we want to just continue to be about transforming lives through love and just be seed planters all along the way. And we're super honored that Highland family is one of the most intentional partners that we have. Uh, that continues to plant those seeds of love. And it takes not just the staff members that work there, not just the board members, not just volunteers, it takes donors, it takes a whole range of people uh, that connected to Timothy Hill Ranch. And we believe, you know, uh, there's somewhere around 10 to 15,000 people a year that are somewhat connected with Timothy Hill now between guests and donors and residents and just people who are connected. And so we're honored and privileged to be able to be connected to the Highland family and really feel like this is Highland family is synonymous with Timothy Hill family. Yeah, yeah. Now I want Chick-fil-A and it's Sunday. So, um, so when you all gave so generously to Life Giving Sunday back in May, you may remember we not only met our goal, we blew past our goal. And that's in part because people who are not even from Highland who are watching online gave because they wanted to be part of giving life. And so one of the things we were able to do with some of that money is to help y'all purchase this property. And what a, I mean, it's an honor to be part of that. And, and that's, the, you know, that's the thing about Life Giving Sunday and the ministry of the church is we have these ministry partners scattered all over the world and we are part of what 
y'all are doing. And you're, you're there doing this life-changing, life-giving work in these people's lives. And it's cool to look at that and think, yeah, we're part of that. You know, Highland's part of that. And when you give, you are giving life. Brishan wants you all to know that he came up with that, Life-Giving Sunday. It was a big idea. He's been telling everybody who will listen that was his idea. And it, it does work on a couple levels because not only are we giving life to others, but when you give, it gives life to you too. You know, you experience life. That's what we tell our kids at Christmas, at least. So do we believe that? Yeah, we do. There's something special about giving to others that gives life to the one who does it. And so I want to challenge you in that regard next week to join us in giving life. Let me make one thing, one thing clear here. And that is that the Spirit gives life. That's what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians. The Spirit gives life. So what, what we do next week means nothing if the Spirit of God is not behind it. But Paul clarifies how it is that the Spirit gives us life. And I've been looking at this passage this week, which you'll see on the screen here, and just been reflecting on how meaningful this is this week. Let me, let me end here pastorally as we head into communion. I know that we had a significant presidential election this week. And I've been reflecting on our congregation, and I know that there are those here, whether on site or online, who are joyful about the outcome, and there are those who are despairing about the outcome. And I just want you to know that I, I see you both. And I'm not going to try to change how you're feeling, whichever way it is today. I'm going to let you feel how you feel. But here's what I want to point you to, and it's in this passage, because Paul makes it clear what you and I are called to in a week like this, and really in every week and in every day. Okay? This is how the Spirit gives life to our world. This is how. All right. But thank God, who is always leading us around through Christ as if we were in a parade. Isn't that a cool image? He releases the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere through us. We smell like the aroma of Christ's offering to God. He's talking about when, when Christ gave himself, Christ's offering God. We smell like the fountain of life to those who are being saved. I mean, think about that. Our calling this week is no different than it was last week. Our calling is to follow Jesus so closely that we smell like him. And that when the world sees us, they are drawn through us to something that is greater, the fountain of life. That's why we give next week, because we believe it's going to smell good. Right? We believe that others are going to sense, to catch a whiff of the grace and life possible in Jesus Christ. And they're going to come to that fountain of life. Our calling is the same as it was last week. It's to follow him so that we smell like him, so that the world is drawn to him. So will you join me in giving to that end next week?